Welcome to Land Sharks After Dark. I'm your host, Justin Sanders, joined by my co-host, John Stefanik. How you doing, John? I'm doing well, Justin. How are you? Doing doing all right, man. Doing pretty well. Um, you know, it's our first little episode ready to get going. Uh, we had an episode before this that was a shorter kind of Peach Bowl preview, but we didn't get too many things right about that game. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that and uh, where we went wrong in our predictions? Yeah, well, I don't think we really got anything right about this game. The, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. The, the idea that we can limit TCU's big plays did not play out. Uh, scared by background. I was at the Peach Bowl, Section 351, I believe, watching that from the, watching this, uh, this uh, futile effort. Well, I don't think <laughs> TCU played well. They, they looked as good as anybody I've seen all year. And really, were a complete football team. They certainly look like somebody that deserved to be in the playoff spot. Now, if you want to sit, I mean, not not not, not to get into this, but if somebody wants to make a side argument. Well, who are you going to take out of the fourteen playoff? I don't know. Playoff probably mm-hmm. goes to eight teams, but that's a whole other discussion. We can have that in a future episode of Winning Sharks After Dark. Absolutely. But back to the Peach Bowl. Basically, the. The, the the fear if you're an Ole Miss fan going into this game was without no Vince Sanders, no Laquan Treadwell, no Aaron Morris. You're thin at you're thin at receiver. You're thin at offensive line. Could could the offense find a way to move the ball? And essentially, what I saw was TCU was able to clamp down, play one on one coverage with their secondary. They weren't scared of anybody being a mismatch in their eyes, with the exception of Evan Ingram. Correct. Right. Essentially, schematically, TCU's game plan was straightforward. Let's double Evan Ingram, make other people beat us, which Cody Core, Markel Pack, Quincy, Aboyjo, those are going against uh, the number one or number two corners versus the number, you know, in the slot versus a safety makes made a difference as far as them being able to get separation. There's right. really nowhere with Bo to go with the football to begin with. Combined he didn't have long. Back. He didn't have long either. I mean, they were abusing us up front with their front four, which is I don't know. I know, I know if we really expected that, but they're a good team. And they and I, I know the narrative is to kill Bo Wallace and his decision making. He didn't. He it didn't matter who you had playing quarterback in that game because he mm-hmm. for a quarter and a half it was Laramie Tunsil and four dudes trying to block, and it was ugly. And then Laramie went down, and it was right. just that that game. I felt like the game was over before the Laramie injury, and once that happened, it clearly had no chance. You saw it was it was kind of weird because like we we get the ball and the Peach Bowl decides to do I don't know if you can hear it on TV they tried to they, they did the hotty totty chant in the middle of our first play, so the stadium was so our old fans are <laughs> thirty oh that's terrible old, old Miss fans yelling while Bo Wallace is trying to like you know tell offensive line you know where to at least attempt to block. <laughs> and that just kind of pretty much summed up the rest of the game. So it was kind of a weird, disorganized feel from there. Mm-hmm. And they had the, they had a couple of, Bo had a couple of early picks and between that and the lack of protection was gun shy. So that was, there's really not that much to talk about from this game. Cause pretty much TCU went out and dominated offense and the deep, the defense missed a couple plays, but it really, like they, if CJ Johnson recovered that fumble was at fourteen zero, and it was like you know right. the process was well, okay. We can put a touchdown here. We can put pressure back on TCU and try to get into the game, but it just, it just never unfolded from that standpoint. 
So yeah, I think offensively it was just you know kind of a reflection of where we are. You know, at the end of the season, yeah. it's not necessarily going to project in the next season, but by the time we got to this game, I mean, like you said, we're missing top two receivers, already missing an offensive line starter, lose your best lineman the second quarter. Um, I mean, it's, it's really not surprising that we weren't able to do anything looking at how good TCU apparently really is. You know, we doubted them. We talked, I talked about on Twitter about their strength of schedule. I know and they haven't beaten anybody, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, you know, they were tired of hearing about the SEC, I think, and they were going to prove and make a statement. And they were emotionally ready for the game, which we weren't sure that they were going to be, and they were. And I'm not sure that Ole Miss was. I don't know. I talked about it before the game. You know, It seemed like they had motivation, but uh, there wasn't much they could really do with the lack of talent on the field. But so let's, let's look at the game. What can we kind of take away from the game and this season, uh, moving into next season, all season? What do you think uh, is the most important takeaways? I think the only thing that really matters from the game into the offseason and going forward is, you know, in, is, the, is the fact that you're concerned that Laramie Tunzel gets back healthy 100%, which the early prognosis for that is I think it's a four- to six-month recovery period. I think he's already had surgery, I would assume. He'll go through rehab, but he'll be ready to go by August. And if he makes a full recovery, honestly, like there's no point. Laramie has no reason to go through spring practice. He knows how right. to play offensive line. I mean, conditioning, you could argue, but you know, he, I mean, he can't get hurt. He can't get hurt later, I guess, this way, if that makes any sense. So if he, assuming he makes a full recovery, everything's fine. As far as what the, the game exposed, the deficiencies on offense, part of that's a health issue. The part, right. the part of that's a talent issue. We talked about the, we talked about a little bit on our preview, but really a key, the biggest area for improvement with talent wise on this team is clearly offensive line. And that that needs to get addressed through recruiting. They have a couple of guys committed with Javon Patterson and Drew Richmond that can come in and potentially help immediately on that front, as well as developing current guys too. Like Rod Taylor has SEC talent, I believe, but he need he, he just having him go through a full off season. To both get in better shape and really be an SEC lineman from a physicality, from a physical standpoint, as well as better understand the playbook. It's just a matter of refining his potential. So that's from a ta- from a talent recruiting standpoint, that's the biggest issue. Also, you could <clears throat> there's a running you could argue there's a running back. There's there's no NFL running back on the roster right now. Jalen's really good at catching balls out of the backfield, but they don't have anybody that can just hand the ball to 25 times a game and say, here, go get us yards. I mean, there's no Nick Chubb or Todd Gurley or uh, TJ Yeldon. All those guys don't grow on trees, so it's hard to, you know, everybody wants those type of players. But Ole Miss needs to develop. They need to develop. They need to basically develop a running game, and that composes of both offensive line and running back play. So, that's really right. uh, we can talk about that in the spring. We talk about that long term. That, that's basically we. That's kind of the dead horse we can beat until it gets solved, essentially. And the other part of that too is schematically, and we I think we mentioned this a little bit on our previous show, but I'll hit it here for people listening to us for the first time. It would be a we we have, and this is kind of a I'll try to make this concise. We, we freeze inherited a Houston nut. Offensive lineman and all Houston nut jokes aside, nut wanted a power running game with big linemen, just a physical, straightforward north south running game, more or less, which is about, which is uh, philosophically the opposite of Q3. It's more of an athletic, 
quick line. I want to use misdirection and speed. So from a even you can people want to make the argument. Well, our line, you know, we have three four star talent on the O line. Mississippi State has those same ranked players. Why can they run the ball better than us? Well, the, the, those guys are put to a different system, and that kind of so you not only I mean it's one thing to have talent on paper. It's another thing to have talent on paper that matches what you want to do philosophically. And it's another thing when you're really going against teams with superior talent on the other side of the ball. So we can, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses or anything, but this, the whole, the offensive line from is kind of the last unit to be just rebuilt, if you will, from the, right. Where the program was. And part of that was, that wasn't necessarily intentional. It's kind of the way it breaks down recruiting, but part of it's too, you can only recruit 25 players a year. So you can, can only address so many positions at a time, but that's, the long and the short of it is that's the kind of the last step as far as this program's concerned becoming really developing into a complete elite SEC football team. Right, exactly. And like you said, on paper, I mean, this offseason, the offensive line could go from, you know, being one of the most inexperienced in the conference to being one of the most experienced, just you know, having another year under their belt. We got everybody coming back pretty much. Uh, we got a lot of young guys coming in that can push for playing time. So we'll see what goes on in the offseason with that. Hopefully, you know, no more injuries. Kids can just keep, you know, getting their weight down. Some of the kids have needed that uh, and get more reps in game. But um, like you said, the running game is obviously an issue this season. We're going to have to address that moving forward. I don't know necessarily that it's going to be recruiting those backs. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to find Leonard Fournette, you know. It's hard to find T.J. Uh, Yeldon, like you said. But, you know, we have talent in the backfield. We have to get the offensive line play better to create gaps for them and get pushed. But also, uh, the non-traditional ways to run the ball. We've seen that some freeze will run the uh, wide receiver around, kind of like Auburn will do, like uh, with Ricardo Lewis and all that kind of stuff. But I want to see yeah. maybe more of that schematically next year. I, I, I don't know. I want to see us try, keep trying different things. Freeze can be really good about, you know, being creative and play calling. They can also have games where it seems like all he calls is exactly what the defense is expecting, which is kind of how it felt against TCU. You know, like they had watched all of our film and every play, they knew it was coming. And I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be just take time for him to develop that part of his game or if you need, you know, more offensive minds on the staff or what it is exactly. But we might have to get creative to make up for the talent deficit when it comes to the running game. But I would get across it. Good. No, sorry. I would say in addition to the other kind of component of the running game, I, that we saw this against Auburn was the tunnel screen, and Treadwell ran it really well. Right. And with a quick note, I mean, at the end of the day, too, part of coaching is you have to scheme to your strengths. And if Ole Miss right. can just develop a solid offensive line, a solid running game, they have on paper in – one of, if not the best, receiving cores next year. You have Laquan, presuming he makes a full recovery from his his injury. You're adding right. Moria Stringfellow, who, if you just watch him, anybody that watched him in spring practice or that has seen him physically, he might have been here in spring, maybe been a fall ball thing, but he physically right. looks like Laquan. And they may mm-hmm. potentially add another guy or two in recruiting, along with, I think, Dial Harris is a redshirt freshman they'll be, they're really excited about. And, that, and then you have – that makes Evan Ingram, say, the third or the fourth option, which is really scary. You can ask Jeff Collins and Dan Mullen or anybody else that suffered, suffered the, to Ingram hitting him over the middle. So that really – on paper, that's your strength. So if you can develop a 
So how do you, I guess the question is how do you transition to running game? A, you have receivers that block really well on the outside. You can also throw a few right. tunnels, you know, quick screens and set that. That would expand the defense. You can come back and hit them inside. So that's kind of a, where I would anticipate kind of this team headed from an offensive standpoint. The question is, is that, is that what the coaching staff sees and where do they want to fall in on that? Right. I'm with you. I would love to see the screen game kind of come back more. Uh, I think some of that obviously is losing Laquan. You know, he's obviously the best guy to run a stream like that, or he was as a freshman out of the slot. Uh, and also, I think Bo has, as the year gone on, had problems with his velocity on his throws. And I think maybe that could have something to do with it, too, because that screen, I mean, if he doesn't get there as fast, like a, a real fast strike that's going to throw off the whole time of the play. So I don't know. We'll see next year. Obviously, it's going to look totally different on offense. We don't know what the quarterback's going to be, like who they're going to be designing the plays for. So we'll see. But hopefully, right, we can extend the short uh, short passes to replace some of that running game. Um, like you said about the wide receivers, I mean, we're going to hear a lot, I think, about Morris Stringfellow in the spring. The coaches are really quiet about that. Uh, I had a friend tell me that this weekend that he thinks that's because they don't want to scare off you know, some of this wide receiver talent that we're still recruiting. Uh, because, the, the, like you said, the Morris Stringfellow physically, he looks like Laquan Treadwell. You put the two of them out there together. Uh, you put Stringfellow on the slot uh, on the same side with Laquan on the outside. I mean, that's going to be hell for defenses. So we'll see how that comes out. Obviously, we'll be the quarterback to throw to him. But I think offensively, we've kind of covered what we're going to look like next year, at least to what we know so far until we get to the spring. Defensively, I don't know how much there is to really cover because we're losing, what, two starters? Is that right? We lose Pruitt and, and Sinquez Golston or two. You have two All-American defensive backs. Which on right. paper looks like a lot, and I love Cody Pruitt to death. He's he's been terrific. He's he's everything you want in a football player. I personally always felt like he's a little bit out of position. He have, would have loved to have seen us have the secondary depth when he was a freshman and sophomore to let him play outside linebacker, and Absolutely. then he could really develop from there. Because the one his one success weakness, if you will, is he can he can get beat over the top or get beat on passing routes. TCU hit beat him inside on a third down for a touchdown, for example. And if you really want to, and I'm getting really nitpicky, I realize this, but like if you go back to the Alabama game, OJ Howard on the play where Sinquez made the interception, he was OJ Howard <laughs> beat Pruitt by a step, and then Sinquez showed mm-hmm. up and made a hero play. But that's like I said, that's a nitpicky. I would take right. Pruitt every day and twice right. on Sunday as far as being on my football tape. So, but I guess the point is that you have CJ Hampton and one of the, I believe it's CJ Morris, the the DB between the Moore twins, those they're waiting in the wings. And I think they're right from a pass covering potential standpoint, a little more athletic. Now, as far as the mental and tangible side and the toughness and the downhill run stopping ability, they, you know, they have a big shoes to fill from that standpoint. As far as right. Sinquez and the corner position, I mean, Sinquez, he did have an interception of the beach ball. I believe I got the 10 for the year, which is one of the best. That might have tied the Ole Miss season record. I it believe. did, yeah. That, that did tie the school record. I'm pretty sure it's so during the broadcast. Yeah. So he it, losing him is. I mean, you obviously love to have him back another year, but with but going into the season, I think T. Shepard was actually a, coaches felt like he was a little ahead of Sinquez as far as a depth chart. Who was a right. junior college trans, uh, transfer. He's a little bit bigger than Sinquez, six one, one ninety, taller, can match up against. The tall physical receivers you see in the SEC, like a Duke Williams coming back for Auburn and the likes of that. So he on so on paper, he, if everything goes well, which if, if you're a fan, you're always going to be optimistic. 
time as well. You, you say, okay, P. Shepard come back in and fill Sinclair's spot. And the, the addition of Tony Bridges in the uh, December signing period from junior college is, is another guy. He's a 6'2", 200-pound corner that can potentially give Ole Miss two corners over six feet tall for the first time I can remember that are both looked at as really top-flight SEC talent. And that would that would even potentially let Mike Hilton move back to safety because you're going to have Kendarius Webster with the year under his belt come in and join and add that for the slow player depth. So you're going to have three tall corners there, and I would think Kalo Moore would be your fourth guy, who's a has been a highly talented and uh, talented. Uh, he's been a highly touted prospect for a while now, from athletic standpoint. It's just a matter of him learning the position or whatnot. So. The defensive secondary, you lose a lot on paper, but I think there's there's a lot of options to replace those guys. Um, to quick cover the other position on defense real quick, I, the D-line is really, they're going to be as good, if not better, next year. I know they lose like, Car- they lose Carlos Thompson. Brian Bennett's had a very solid senior year. Replacing him is going to be worth noting, but Breland Speaks is, was a red shirt. He should be able to step in and contribute. And also signing DJ Jones is a big factor. He's a He's the big run-stuffing defensive tackle. This defense is really looking forward to put next to Robert Kendici to let really kind of free up Robert if you will to go rush the passer. And then, obviously, it's contingent upon Robert learning how to finish plays better. That's another kind of, that's another spring storyline to watch. So, finally, get around to it. To me, the spot on defense that needs kind of the most attention, if you will, this in spring is linebacker because they're losing – Keith Lewis is graduating, Darius Bryant is graduating, DT Shackler is graduating. That's a lot of a lot of experience, a lot of snaps leaving your program. Also a lot of leadership too with DT especially. So they have I think they have the talent coming in place with Christian Russell. Um is it Terry Caldwell? Is he the junior college right, right, linebacker yeah. coming in? They have Leo Lewis signed. Hopefully he eventually hopefully that's uh in Sharpie on signing day, I think he right, right. I think he ends up at Ole Miss. He, you know, but he can't blame a high school kid for a little attention at this point in his life. I'm not criticizing him whatsoever, but Leo is a top tier player, and getting Denzel back will be big. So, and the Marcus Gates as well is a guy I really look, for, look to to step up that linebacker spot. So, so as far as develop, developing those guys, a linebacker is going to be a key for, for watching the spring, and it sounds like. Uh, the other thing we haven't mentioned yet is there is a there is a defensive staff opening with Tom Allen, Correct. linebacker, special team coach, going to take a coordinator job at South Florida. We wish Tom the best. I believe he did an excellent job. He's a stand up guy. It's Tom at Ole Miss. I was I was really impressed with what I saw from his uh, three years here. But I think is what may happen is is Womack currently coaches the safeties. He may take over the linebacker coaching duties, which would free up freeze to go hire a a uh, defensive backs coach that essentially his first job would be go be a recruiter. Cause Tom Allen was a big time recruiter. So you need to kind of, you need to replace that aspect on your staff. And it's Womack's defense. He can coach any position on it. So it's really from Freeze's standpoint, I think he's asking himself, can I get a better recruiter from a linebacker position or a secondary coach? And kind of what does he want from that standpoint? Right. Exactly. And yeah. you know, like Tom Allen is a great guy. and He's been a great uh, kind of, emotional coach for our program. There's a lot of good video of him on the field hyping the guys up. Um, but he's also he's a special teams coach, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Our special teams haven't been 
anywhere close to spectacular. I'd say our kickoff coverage is really good. Um, our punt coverage is okay. Obviously, returns are not great at all. I mean, I don't think we had a single punt return for a touchdown this year. Um, we obviously Markel had some trouble this year with fair catching at the wrong time, and we had some other problems like kickoff return that Kalo took out of bounds at the five yard line against Arkansas, stuff like that. So I'll be interested to see which coach takes over special teams now. Um, it could be a storyline to watch as well as we move into this off season. Um, I'm trying to think what else we've touched on some of the storylines for the spring, uh, linebackers, some defensive line, offensive line development, but obviously the biggest one is going to be the quarterback battle. So John, how do you see it shaping up? Give me kind of your read on it right now and your prediction for how it's going to go. Well, it's definitely it's a wide open race, and I think the first thing we need to kind of talk about and mention is the fact that will is a will Chad Kelly even make it to Ole Miss? He was signed in the, early, the first day of the junior college signing period. I believe that was December seventeenth, sixteenth or seventeenth, give or take a day. And he promptly, four days later, was arrested in Buffalo, Buffalo New York nightclub. And uh, you can you can I'm sure you can Google Chad Kelly on the internet and get as many details as you like on that. But he has a court date. I believe it's tomorrow. We are recording this as of eight thirty p.m. Sunday, January fourth. So I think we are less than twenty four hours from Chad Kelly court date. Shouldn't he? Yeah, I think you're Chad. right. I think it is tomorrow. Chad Kelly watch, man. We're on Chad it. Kelly watch. We're on top of this. So it's, he he was only charged with, from a from a get your from a legal get your athlete in school standpoint. He was only charged with misdemeanors. The only quote we have from Freeze on the matter is that he's waiting for the legal process to resolve itself, which to to be blunt, because I think that's going to be the attitude, the way we go about it on this podcast, is I think Freeze is basically saying, look, go get you a good lawyer, get your misdemeanors knocked down substantially or even dismissed, and as long as it doesn't, most of this, the allegations are proved untrue or not provable, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, then will make it look better from a PR standpoint. I don't think he did anything just ridiculous. He he tried to, the video I've seen on it, he was trying to stand up for his friend and the bouncer initiated the altercation and kind of got out of control from there. Now, he, he should have known to get away from that. He probably should have been there to begin with, but it's not like he was going around looking for a fight necessarily. So long story short, but I'm, I'm going to assume Chad Kelly enrolls in class and is practicing in spring. And obviously, if that, yeah. if that if that changes, we will readdress. We we can go back. We can readdress our thoughts on the quarterback situation. But from what I, I did, I did take some time out of my schedule in December to watch about an hour of the junior college national championship game, which he I mean, believe he threw five touchdowns in it. And looks like really? a, he looks like an SEC player to me that he can definitely come in and and be a factor and compete for the job. The question is. The question is, was he brought in because the coaches believe that Ryan Buchanan and Devontae K are simply not good enough for what they've seen in practice? Was he simply, was it a matter if they, they're fine with Buchanan and Kincaid and they looked at Kelly and said, this guy is so talented we can't say no to him? Kind of, I guess we'll find out over time where, where that kind of spent, where that viewpoint ultimately falls. Right. Uh, I think for as far as the current guys they have, I'll put up say this real quick and let you talk, Justin, this be as far as yeah. Buchanan's viewed as the guy that really, I think he, he's further along understanding the offense, the coaches like his decision-making at this point. But they, I think the question is, is making the transition from a private 
uh, Mississippi high school football all the way to the SEC levels. Physically, is he is he fully capable of making every throw that they would ideally want out of their offense? Whereas it's kind of the opposite as far as Kincaid is concerned, from what I gather. Kincaid has the physical tools. He can run around. He was able to get away from the pass rush a little bit when he's the fourth quarter of the Peach Bowl for for anybody that left the game on, which I'm sure. Which I'm if I if I hadn't been if I hadn't been there and was waiting to kill time for dinner reservations later that night, I totally would have turned the TV off. But Kincaid was able to elude the pass rush and run around and kind of make he's able to make the O line look look better just because of his physical ability. And he has the arm too. The question is is do the coaches trust him and does he understand the offense sufficiently? So that's kind of where they stand on that. And then we like and then finally we're adding in Chad Kelly, who you would assume they would sign and they would bring him in to deal with the quote unquote distractions associated with them only if they felt like he could definitely contribute and be a part of the team. So that's I, bottom line, I, I think it's Chad Kelly's job if he shows up and behaves and performs and acts the way he's and performs to the way he's capable of. But there's a lot of uncertainty around that right now. Right. I, I'd have to agree with you that the leader right now would be Chad Kelly. You would think he made it to campus. I mean, he's just he's the most accomplished of the quarterback. He's the one that's been brought in the most recently. I mean, uh, Devontae and Ryan were recruited two years ago, you know, and that that doesn't necessarily reflect where they're at today as they were in high school. But I really was impressed with the way Devontae played in the Peace Bowl. Um, like you said, he has a lot more athletic tools than Ryan has and probably more than Chad does as well, although Chad is more athletic than Ryan, it seems. Uh, the way I see it is more if, if Hugh Freeze wants to keep running the same exact offense, uh, he's going to need a Chad Kelly or Ryan Buchanan at a lesser level. I don't think Buchanan would be as good as Kelly, but similar to the kind of Bo Wallace athletes he had running the, the pass system. I really see, uh, I see Devontae as more of maybe a, a Nick Marshall. And, you know, I know it's dangerous to compare quarterbacks just because of the same yeah. race, but I swear that's yeah. not what I'm doing here. More of a, you know, he's a great runner. I think that if, we, if he was our quarterback, you know, he has a huge arm too, not maybe the most accurate passer or maybe the best just on his read, scrambles a little bit quickly. But if he was our quarterback uh, for whatever reason, or if he just decided he wanted to go to a more athletic style of quarterback play, I think that we could kind of design teams around him and build a, a run-first, uh, play-action-pass-based offense. It could actually be really effective with him. I think he's a great athlete. Uh, and he seems like a good leader. You know, he has... A lot of uh, a lot of the guys on the team rally around him, you know, social media and stuff. They're all super tight. Uh, not that Ryan isn't too, because Ryan's the same way. But we'll see what it's like with Chad coming in from out uh, out from a different program. So far, the players have been really receptive to Chad Kelly, at least on social media. But it's got to still be kind of um, different when these other two guys have been here for two years. Uh, they've been making these connections, learning the playbook, meeting the coaches. So Chad's got a big task ahead of him. I don't think any of the charges are going to be substantial or stick. I don't think it's going to keep him away. I think he's reasons waiting for the PR to kind of, like you said, get better. Everybody's going to die down. The attention's going to be away from Chad Kelly. Uh, and quietly he'll enroll and start practicing. That's my prediction. But we'll see what happens. It could be a, a Blake Sims kind of situation where one of the two incumbents went out the job in the spring to – It'll be a really interesting storyline to follow. I think a lot of people will be watching uh, the Grove Bowl this year more than a normal year. It should be should be a lot of fun. So we'll see what happens. I agree. Definitely, it's ultimately the the storyline to follow in the spring and where it goes. And we'll definitely, you know, I'm sure we'll, we will change our opinions quite a few times on this as mm-hmm. it progresses. Absolutely. Develops. 
I guess the one other quick comment I'll add is that talk about the idea of changing, kind of, you're building your off, maybe potentially changing your offensive philosophy a little bit around the skill set of your quarterback, particularly with Kincaid and running the ball. Part of that too may fall into the how, how does the how does the quarterback fit in with the rest of the assets of the team? We mentioned earlier that really the strength of Ole Miss next year is probably going to be the receiving core. So it's freeze. Is, is the, does the quarterback that wins the job, is he really the best quarterback or is he the best quarterback that can utilize, fully utilize the receiver skill set position? And you would hope the answer to those, those two, two different questions would be the same guy versus if you run a situation where you say, well, Kincaid running the spread options, great, but I need a guy that can get the ball in Laquan, a string fellow, an Ingram, et cetera, et cetera. So right, maybe, right. maybe, so how do you, Go from yeah. how do you work around that? And I'll two quarterbacks situations never the answer to that. So we'll see. Right. And so I think I think that's that. exactly you're exactly right on that. I think that's the fair that Chad Kelly is the best option because he's more athletic than Bo. He can run the read option, but he can make his reads. He can stand in the pocket. He has a good pocket presence, uh, good feet for a quarterback. I think he is the best fit for what we have currently. We just got to you know, keep him out of jail and uh, on the, on the field. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, all right, so we've done some some football. Kind of recap the season. I guess I'm sure everyone listening knows how the season turned out. They were watching too. Um, you know, I'm sure they're drawing their own conclusions. But hopefully, that's a nice little look ahead to spring. Um, why don't we move into talking a little bit about the only on this sport that is currently happening, and that is, of course, uh, Andy Kennedy's basketball squad. Been an interesting season so far. I think right now. Eight and four, maybe nine and four. Now that uh, I think they're nine and four with the win over Austin P. But yeah, nine and four. I pull that up right now. Yeah, yeah. So some some decent wins on the resume and some some horrifying losses. Opened the season with the loss of Charleston Southern. That was just miserable. Uh, and we've lost a couple other weird games at home. But you know we beat Creighton and the tournament down in uh, Niceville, Florida. Beat Oregon at Oregon and Cincinnati, if that turns out to be a thing. But um, the season is still, I don't know, let's say young. We're maybe pretty well along now. The conference play starts on Tuesday. Uh, that's going to be exciting. You excited about that, John? Definitely. Although going in the rough arena, it's. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, it I'm, for the I'm first really game. not sure what we're going to learn from that. So we will see where that goes. I think we're going to learn that Kentucky is a really good team. <laughs> if anyone doesn't already know that, but we'll see. <laughs> For sure. So what yeah. Do you see? yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, it's been the weird part of this team's open is they're really, they have three losses at home to teams that they should at least be even with talent-wise. I think we can all agree on that. The Charleston Southern game was just baffling, except for the fact it's the first game and you have a lot of new players. The whole getting everybody together from a continuity standpoint, you look at that. They went and they beat Creighton and Cincinnati in a neutral site game down in the Knightsville, I believe, is where they played that uh, Florida Gulf Coast tournament. So they that, they look good from there and thinking, okay, they got this together, they're going to make a run. They lose TCU at home by double digits, which was really a little bit bad, which was pretty baffling. And then they go and win on the road at Oregon, and they lose at home to Western Kentucky, and they. They went and they played Dayton close. The final score where Dayton was close. I didn't get a chance to see that game and see how if it was really competitive or not. But it was it was competitive. I mean, it was the same problem we've had in all of our losses where 
they're shooting way more uh, free throws than us. You know, we're just not creating opportunities for ourselves and we can't catch up. But it was a good effort. I think we lost by four. Yeah, so that was the, so, so far they have a better record on the road than home. And I think, do we still lead the nation in free throw percentage, which would be the ultimate yeah. Andy Kennedy troll of all time? It, is. it makes no sense because, you know, we've always complained that our team shoot terrible free throws. Then out of nowhere, this random team, I think right now they're shooting 78. Uh, yeah, Stefan Moody leads the SEC at 87%, I believe. He's like number nine in the country. But even the big men are shooting well. I mean, I think Colby is close to 80%. So it's interesting. I guess that's one good thing about having kind of the journeyman transfer team is these guys at least know how to shoot free throws. I agree with that. I guess as far as on-floor chemistry, and this is, I'm probably going to phrase this as more questions to you because I think I feel like you probably watch more basketball than I have, but it, it seems like that Jarvis and Moody, they, it either needs to be one of them or the other on the court kind of running and being the focal point of the offense. I think, I think they function better independently than they do on the court together. Do you think that's the case, or is it just a matter of feeling each other out? or kind of What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and I've kind of seen both sides of it. But I think really what I see when uh, when Stefan and Jarvis are on the court together is just Stefan is a streaky player. He's kind of like Marshall Henderson was in that he can get really hot, get really cold. But at the end of the day, I think Moody wants to help Jarvis out. He wants to take pressure off him. He wants to uh, you know be a scoring threat so that Jarvis can just create. And it's it's really worked in some games. You know, our biggest problem has been Jarvis, I think, has, has been hurt through the season. He's got an ankle injury. He's got a little bit of a shoulder injury going on. Uh, he's looked good the past four halves, the two against Dayton and the two against Austin P. But we're really going to have to have him stay consistent. Snoop White has really been impressive this season uh, in a lot of games. So he has to be a consistent scoring threat. I think if all three of those, uh, Snoop White, Jarvis Summers, and Stephon Moody, although Moody is going to be up and down. If they can all produce, you know, maybe 10 to 15 points a game, I think we're doing pretty well. But the big matchup is also the, the big men down low because Colby and Saiz aren't that experienced. MJ Rett isn't really big enough. Um, so, like, Perez doesn't even play anymore. Uh, Newbie's too short. Haven't seen Burgess in a while. But basically, if a team can outplay us down low, it's really hard for us to keep up with our guards on the outside. So that's really what happened in Charleston Southern, Western Kentucky. Uh, they had men that were bigger than us, and they were just pushing Saez around. They were pushing Kobe around. It, it didn't turn out well. But I, I think the guard chemistry is better than people are giving their credit for. I think that Booty and Jarvis, I think they'll work, they, will, they will work well, well together in some games this year. I think we're going to surprise a couple people that we shouldn't surprise. But, I mean, it's, it's not a tournament team right now. The only way we can go to the tournament is if, we got lucky, uh, you know, in late February and Kentucky decided they didn't really care about winning the SEC tournament. Uh, we're on a run, but it's still a fun team to watch. I would suggest it, I guess, unless you catch one of those terrible games uh, like Western Kentucky and Charleston Southern, and it's pretty depressing. But they can be exciting to watch. They'll hit some threes. Snoop White shooting really well right now. Um, Savon Moody has a 42-inch vertical. So there's some pretty cool stuff on the team, but I don't really know if it's a postseason team. Yeah, that, that's, it, it'll be interesting to see kind of where they go on that. From what I can tell, they they're really they're probably not, they're probably a marginal MIT, or probably a marginal NIT team at best right now. 
I think as far as you, if somebody for somebody asking, you know, doesn't really pay much attention. Football season is over, conference play kicking up. What does this team ask themselves? What does this team have to do to get to the uh, NCAA tournament? Well, they probably need to go realistically about fourteen and four in the SEC. And you ask yourself, well, why does it need to be that high? Well, the league's really not that good at basketball, and there's not that many opportunities for quality wins. I mean, I have, I have the schedule pulled up. They're not going to win a Rupp Arena. I don't think anybody is. So that leaves, and that's already a loss. So if you want to count that as a loss against Kentucky, which if you haven't seen Kentucky play this year, this is one of the best college basketball teams ever. They they have to really screw up not to win a national title. It's really just crazy how good they are this year. But as far mm-hmm. as other as far as other opportunities to put on put quality wins on the resume for the NCAA selection, we look at this and say, hey, you know, this team belongs in the tournament. You have at Arkansas. I believe is a quality fringe NCAA tournament team. LSU at home is really nearly a must win being at home. I don't think Georgia's a tournament team, but they're going to be a maybe, you know, on the fringe type deal. You play Florida twice. They're a consistent program as well, well thought of in the eyes of the committee. At Missouri is a road opportunity for road win. Okay, they play out I know they play Arkansas twice, so that's two opportunities to beat Arkansas. And that's really beyond that. I really yeah, let me tell you. That, let me tell yeah. you something. Um, a lot of people aren't realizing uh, we could easily start out zero and two right now. South Carolina, number twenty-eight on Ken Pop. South Carolina is having a great season. Wow. Uh, they have a really good player, Sundarius Thornwell. I believe that's his name. Uh, I'm going to be at that game in Oxford, so I'll get to see them in person. But I'm pretty worried about it. Uh, I have a friend, Chris, who's a South Carolina fan. He's been telling me about it for a while. So I've called a couple games. and uh, But it's a chance for a quality win at home. Also a chance to start out 0-2, and that's just digging a hole for us to climb out of. So we'll see with that. Um, just keep an eye on that game. Uh, that's Saturday, I think. Definitely. Carolina with Frank Martin as their coach. He's had success before. He's really a quality. He, he gets angry occasionally, but he really is a quality coach. And like you said, I think it's really important for this team to get off to a, a good start in conference play. Otherwise, it, it wouldn't shock me if they got off to a bad start. And I don't want to say throw in the tank or quit, but they kind of struggled to ever get anything going. And they're going to be 0-1 after Lexington Tuesday. But I think that one, you can just kind of let it go and say, look, everybody's going to have that problem. Carolina at home is a big game. And then they followed up with LSU at home. They they cannot lose both. Otherwise, you can just kind of – at 0-3, you can forget it. They really – Really, they, they really need to win both because they got to turn around and go to Arkansas, who's probably a top three or four team in the league. They, if they could get out of, if they could get through the first four games at two and two, that would really be, that would be, I would call that a solid start. And then that following that, they go to Georgia, they go to Georgia and then host Florida. If they, if they could get out of there realistically at three and three, I would, I would say that's solid because then you would start kind of getting into a little bit of the easier. Easier part of your schedule relative to that, and you could get going. The key, the key to me in the early part, of the first third of the schedule is just going to be a tread water and not get, not get buried. Based on the right, way it's, it's a tough, it's a tough schedule the way it opens. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see that the team could easily be looking at you know four and two or two and four. I mean, uh, after six games, so it should be fun. I mean, you know, I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to all this basketball. So looking forward to watching every heartbreaking defeat so it's going to be good but uh 
I think that's that's about everything we know about the basketball team so far. We'll keep an eye on it coming up. Um, also, you know, look out for an upcoming episodes of Land Strikes After Dark. We're going to have recruiting. We're going to have baseball preseason talk. That's going to be great. We're both really excited about baseball. Uh, we're going to keep watching basketball. Keep watching spring football. Um, you know, follow us on Twitter. It's at Sharks, A-F-T-R, Dark. Uh, stay updated on, you know, new episodes, everything else that's going on, whatever we're thinking about, Ole Miss-related topics. Uh, you got anything else you want to talk about, John? I think that's it. We're definitely we're going to hammer recruiting pretty hard because that's football's king, and the key the, the key to making this the taking the next step with the football program is who you bring in to play. So we will we will hammer that. We have I believe January fifteenth is when the dead period ends. That really gets going. I think it's January twenty third is the Saturday of the big recruiting weekend that Ole Miss does. It's the it's two sat. It's two Saturdays before National Signing Day, which is the first uh, Wednesday of February, I believe. That's February. Um, I, I'm not sure the day on exactly. Whatever the first Wednesday of February is. So that's kind of that's you know within the next month or so, we'll definitely keep an eye on that, along with the basketball, kind of see if this team gives us really kind of gives us a spark, where to go. As far as predictions for basketball, I would say this is probably a fringe and IT team. I would. It's probably a ten and eight, eleven and seven at team. Middle of the road. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I agree with you on that. We'll keep an eye on that. We will. We will be on top of recruiting. We may have a special guest or two to join us and give them, give us their thoughts on that. And then when yeah. recruiting's over with, we're going to be about ten days away from Ole Miss baseball, which coming off their uh, number three finish last year, first trip to Omaha in forty-two years. Mike Bianco, we can. Everybody can stop complaining about him. He's solidified as the guy in charge of the program. Get it. New, new contract, well deserved to solidify. I, I am really excited to watch Christian Trent pitch on Friday night myself. That is going to be mm-hmm. really good. So, as am I, as am I. Yeah, it's going to be a great baseball season. Hopefully, uh, a lot of storylines to follow there. So stay tuned, listen in, follow up. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.